0: Open up to Isaiah 9 6. Isaiah 9 6 as we are looking at the Christ of Christmas. We started part one last Sunday, and we're going to finish off this month with the Christ of Christmas, and this is part two. Last week was the uh, first promise of Christmas. Genesis 3.15, the first mention of Christ's coming in a, the gospel. And this morning we're going to look at part two, a gift for all ages. A gift for all ages. There were these people <clears throat> who it seems had done everything that they possibly could to destroy their relationship with. With their God and ruin their own life in the process. And that can be the only outcome. When you reject reject God and you destroy that relationship with Him, all you can expect is ruin in your life. When God made a covenant with the people, and I'm speaking of Israel here. They promised to be faithful. To be a faithful, devoted people. Because nobody had ever treated them as good as he did. And these people would have been a fool. To think of worshiping and chasing after other gods. And Paul said there are many. But they're not gods. At all. They're just the imagination of men's minds, the creation of their minds. And besides, these people weren't very appealing. And it was pretty clear that they had a lot of character flaws, as we all do. These people were unappreciative. They were dishonest and they were terrible complainers. And so these people really weren't a great catch at all. But their God didn't see all of their shortcomings. Now, when I say that, that doesn't mean he didn't know about them. And he wasn't aware of their shortcomings. But he didn't focus on them. That wasn't his focus of the people. But sure enough... As time went by, those character flaws, little by little, destroyed their relationship, their relationship with God. And the more God showed his love for them and his concern for them, the more they took advantage of him, the more they took him for granted. And finally, they even got tired of God's love and devotion, and they started to flirt with other gods. It was only a little bit at first. Even though they knew that it really hurt their God. But after a while, they made it clear. They didn't care. And they weren't sorry about their unfaithfulness to God. And in spite of all of this, God begged and he pleaded for them to come back and to be faithful to him. Warning them that their flirting with other gods was ruining their relationship. And would destroy their life forever. But by that time their love for him had grown cold. And his words didn't have any effect on them anymore. So finally with a broken heart. God said that's enough. And there's a place. Where God will say that's enough. And he let them go. Now they were free. They had nothing holding them back. Nothing could keep them from chasing the other gods that they were so in love with. And they became involved in their disgusting and dangerous lifestyles. That is the life and, and, and lifestyles of those gods. And it wasn't very long before it took its toll on the people. And they became terribly sick. But their new lovers didn't care. They were sick too. They got hard and cold hearted. And the stress of all of their mistakes weighed on them. Weighed them down and crushed them beyond any hope. Everything in their life was now so dark and empty and so lonely. No more joy in their life. No more peace. And everything that their God said would happen to them did happen to them. And they got to a point where they thought they had done so much damage that there was no hope for their relationship with God to be restored. So they said to themselves, I'll just go away. And I'll forget everything. But then when these people were at the lowest point of hopelessness in their life, something totally unexpected happened. They could see a little ray of hope, a little glimmer of light that began to shine through the thick darkness in their life. Something totally unexpected by them. They got a message from their God. Even though they had rejected God and they'd hurt him and they humiliated him, they betrayed him and abandoned him. Their God reached out for them. One more time. Promising to forgive them with a promise of hope for their future. With a promise to accept them and to love them back to a place of honor. A promise of a tomorrow that would make them forget all of their past terrible failures. This morning, those same words are spoken to us. Those words of that faithful God to His unfaithful people Israel are represented or repeated, I should say, thousands of times every Christmas season. Isaiah 9, 6 says, For unto us a child is born. Unto us a son is given. And the government will be upon His shoulder and His name will be called Wonderful Counselor. Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. It's only when you see this verse that was written 700 years before he was born. Think of that now, the reliability of the scripture. And this is just one example. This prophecy of the birth of Christ was written 700 years before Jesus was born. And only when you see this verse in its, in its original background, in the failure and the ruining of their lives, of the children of Israel. Then you can start to understand the amazing meaning of this verse. You see, like I said, Israel is the unfaithful people. Just like you and me. God is the faithful one who in the middle of a passage describing judgment to come upon Israel, he stops long enough to tell them about his love for his dearly loved people one more time. And he offers a promise out of love, not of duty. It's because he loved the people that he gave them this promise, not because he he had to. He could have just abandoned them and let them go and... Ruin their life forever. This verse. Isaiah 9.6. Is the fulfillment of God's promise. As I said of Genesis 3.15. That a savior would be born. A savior would come. A promise to give us a gift. That would heal our broken relationship with him. And on Christmas Day. Our Lord Jesus Christ was born. And this long, this hopeful, long-forgotten promise was fulfilled. Sin creates distance in any relationship, but the greatest distance it creates is between God and us. Paul said in Ephesians four twelve, for He Himself. That is Christ is our peace and Christ has broken down the middle wall, that barrier of separation between us and him. Something had to be done to bridge that gap between us and God. And to bring our unfaithful hearts back to him. That something was the son of Mary. The presence of the son of God with us, Emmanuel. Emmanuel means God with us. You see there's power in presence. You know how many times you know, or maybe you know you you you've heard about some person that 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 there's just a power there's just a power about their presence. When they walk into a room, you know people just their eyes open and you know they like take a breath of of awe and, and just, you know, they just get all these sensations because their presence is so powerful. There's power in the loved one's presence. And at the manger, God gave us a gift. His presence. And even though we didn't deserve it, God sent a child to be born to us and to seek us out. That's amazing when you think about it. He came to seek us out. And the Christmas spirit is stirred up in us when we celebrate God keeping his promise to us. And this promise from God who loved us in spite of all of our many terrible uh, failures and, and downfalls. He made this promise to us. To love us. So we want to look at this well-known verse this morning. That's written on tons of Christmas cards. Every Christmas. Every year. And it's being quoted. This Christmas season in churches all over the world. That preach the gospel. And let us think about each unique part. Of this verse. This miraculous sign. Verse 6 begins. For unto us a child is born. You know. And, and right there where it says us. You could put your name. For unto Joe. A child was born. For me. For you. Isaiah was here. In, the, in chapter 9. He was prophesying against Israel. As I Showed in the introduction. He was prophesying against Israel's faithfulness. Unfaithfulness to God. Going out and serving other gods. And ruining their relationship with God. But right in the middle of that. He tells the Israelites. That he's going to use the Assyrians to discipline them. And just as he said, the Assyrians came down on Israel and they just overwhelmed her. And then God interrupts this horrible prophecy to talk to talk compassionately about Israel's future. And he promises in the midst of this. That he would never leave her. Even though she was faithful to him. And you know what? That's what God does every Christmas season. He reminds us of this promise, his promise. And to prove it to her, he promises that a child will be born to her. So the Lord himself will give you a sign. And it's a sign that nobody, no man could ever duplicate. Isaiah 7, 14, behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel. Now, this isn't just comforting talk. That doesn't mean anything. It's not just a nice thought that doesn't mean anything. This is a real promise from God that someday he was going to deliver his rebellious bride. And that deliverance would involve that deliverance would involve a miraculous human birth at a certain time and a certain place in history. Has anybody ever made a promise to you that wasn't very clear? Something that you really got excited about? Something you really looked forward to? And then you find out later they really didn't mean it? They didn't mean for you to take it seriously. Have you ever done that to somebody else? Have you ever made a promise that you meant to keep but you didn't? I think we've probably all done it at one time or another. Husbands and wives do it to each other, parents to children, children to parents, friend to friend, relative to relative, making promises that you don't keep. We promise to love. We promise to visit people. We promise to help. We promise to show up. But then, for whatever reason, we just never do. Hey, let's t- get, let's get together real soon someday. All right? That would oh, yeah, that would be great. When we make promises, we really mean to keep. We make specific. We give specific times. Dates. Details. And that's what God did with Israel here. God got specific about this coming Messiah. About this promise. This wouldn't be just any child. It would be a child. The Bible says born of a virgin. I mean how much more specific can you get than that? And God says he'd also be born to us. Each one of us. The child would be born to Israel and to all who have become children of Abraham by faith. They'd also benefit from God's eternal plan. This 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 child wasn't just a gift to Israel, but a gift to every one of us. To the whole human race. Then Isaiah gets even more specific. The next line in verse six. He says, unto us a son is given. This child will be born of a virgin, born to us, and will be a son. One day in eternity, the father spoke to the son about his plan for his creation. And in Jesus' response... I'm sorry, in response, the son covered his glorious divinity and he came down to this earth and he put on flesh and blood and he allowed himself to be wrapped in the clothing of humanity in swaddling clothes and strips of cloth. And he became that promised child. A child was born, the son was given to us. Mary gave birth to Jesus, but not until after the father had given him to us first. He was the son from all eternity. But on a specific day. God became a child. God put on. Flesh and blood. God wore the clothing of the humanity. God walked among us for 30 years. Think about that. This was this was to identify this special child with his eternal and divine origins. The tradition of giving gifts every year that can be traced back to the father, the heavenly father. The giving started with him. James 117, every good gift and every perfect gift is from above and comes down from the father of lights. The greatest gifts come from God. They come from God. He gave us a a world to live in. He gave us a life to enjoy. Then, because of our own sin, we gave that up. We forfeited that life. And yet the Father gave it again. He gave us His Son, and through His Son, new life. Eternal life. Just as His creation... Or I say not just as his creation but as his beloved children he made us sons and daughters he gave us a second chance in life but that chance or I should say that life it came with a high price tag one that we couldn't pay we couldn't afford it and we didn't deserve this second chance, so we had, it had to be given to us. And then in verse 6, we see the third line: And the government will be upon his shoulders. Boy, and as we've all seen, people are looking to their government leaders to provide for them prosperity and peace, financial stability. Security, justice, compassion, guidance. No government has ever or can do this completely and satisfactorily. Never. But the governments of the world, they have put their hopes on some pretty weak and narrow shoulders over the years. None of them, none of them have measured up to this high calling that Jesus will fulfill. The sad thing is, they usually provide for themselves instead, not for the people that they're supposed to serve. There's no sacrifice on their part, mostly looking out for themselves, to enrich themselves, seeking their own power, wealth, and fame, making a name for themselves. We always have to remember that when we're looking to a man to hang our hopes on, hey, we're, we're putting our hopes on, on imperfect, sinful human beings. And imperfect people make imperfect laws that they imperfectly enforce. I think as we've seen a lot lately. And they're totally helpless and powerless to change imperfect hearts. Only Christ can do that. They can't change in perfect hearts, and that's why there's so much turmoil in people's lives today. People are trying to change the world without God. And Jesus said, Without me, you can do nothing. But look what 12 men did with Christ. The 12 disciples turned the world, as people say, upside down, but it's really upside right. 12 men filled with the Spirit of God in Christ turned this world upside right. So who's really qualified to to lead such a government? Who could really carry such a load? Only one. The child born unto us. The son of God given to us. Because one day. The government of all nations and all people. Will be given to him forever. And he will govern perfectly. Righteously and forever. The fourth line of verse 6. And his name will be called. First name wonderful. Wonderful. And Isaiah's use of the word here, wonderful, means marvelous thing, wonder. And it suggests that everything about Jesus is a wonder. He's extraordinary. He's amazing beyond all we could ever think or imagine. Then he says he will be called counselor. Jesus is such a marvelous Savior. So perfectly capable. Jesus doesn't need counselors. Jesus never needs to seek advice. He doesn't need to hold committee meetings. He never never needs to say, hold on, I'll get back to you. He has all the answers to every question for every situation and circumstance all the time. Who has directed the spirit of the Lord or as his counselor has taught him? Isaiah 40 4013 says. For who has known the mind of the Lord or who has become his counselor? Romans 11:34 says. It is better to trust in the Lord than to put confidence in man. It is better to trust in the Lord than to put confidence in princes. Psalm 118 verses 8 through 9. There are so many decisions that we have to make in our lifetime and every day. And way too often we look to other people or other sources, other means to get those answers. to get those decisions, to help us make the right decisions. But every counselor needs a counselor themselves. Why? We're not perfect. And it's impossible for us to have a perfect view of things because we don't know all things. And we can't know the future. So we really can't make a decision knowing how the future is going to turn out in the end. None of us have all the answers all the time. The perfect heart and perfect mind are one in God's gift to us of a wonderful counselor. He knows and sees all things, Jesus Christ. Next thing or name he is called is Mighty God. Mighty God. This name is so different than child and son. We think of of God's son as the meek and mild Jesus. But remember, this babe in the manger was almighty God. Almighty God first. He was almighty God first. Who became a child. Dressed in the clothing of humanity. But from all eternity, the child that was born, the son that was given was and is and always will be the mighty God who had no beginning and no end. In the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God and he was in the beginning with God. John 1, 1 and 2, speaking of Jesus Christ no beginning and no Christ's existence didn't start when he was born on Christmas morning. He's eternal. He's always been. Like I said, no beginning and no end. But that's when God Jesus Christ who existed for all eternity, who created all things, who was walking in the in the in the glorious universe of his of his creation stepped out of his glory and came down here to show us God. We already talked about people who make promises they don't plan on keeping. But what about the person who can't keep his promise? Not because they don't want to or, or they wouldn't, you know, they, they'd, they'd love to, but they can't. There's a lot of promises that I would like to make that I can't keep, but but, but you know, that's because they, people don't have the power to make it happen. Is there anything more disappointing than that? Yet all of the promises suggested by these titles in Isaiah 9-6 about the coming of Christ, the Christ child, they would be fulfilled because he would be the mighty God. And then lastly, he's called the Everlasting Father. Notice another title uh, of, of deity and eternity. Here Isaiah is describing the nature of the Messiah's relationship with his people. And his relationship with time. This child to be born is eternal. And he's like a father in the way that he deals with us. We love our fathers. We might get mad at them sometimes. We might blame them for things sometimes and bless them at sometimes for, for our condition. But whether we bless them or blame them, we all seem to be looking for and wanting that perfect father relationship. But our fathers are temporary. And they're not perfect. Even the best of them. And we want a father. Who will look out for us. Provide for us. Protect us. Hold us in his strong arms. And answer, answer all the silly questions that we have. And we don't have to understand God to believe him. We love and trusted our fathers. Even though we didn't understand how and why they did something sometimes. Whatever our minds and hearts can want or imagine in a perfect father, Jesus will be that for us forever. Our everlasting father. Then he was called the Prince of Peace. The Prince of Peace. A lot of people are looking for peace this morning. But many of them are looking in all of the wrong places. Our trouble in life starts the moment we're born. And Job said, man is, is born to trouble as sparks fly upward. And I'm sure probably a lot of you have gone, gone camping before and, and have had campfires, and mostly at night you can see this. Sparks are constantly going up from the fire. And Job says, man, that's, that's, that's man's life. He's born to trouble and, and there is as there frequent as sparks that fly up from a campfire. Think about it. When 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 Job says man is born to trouble. Think about when you came into this world. What's the first thing you got a smack on your backside. Welcome to the world, kid. You start out crying. <laughs> Welcome to life. What a way to enter the world. And as we grow up, we fight with our brothers and sisters, our parents, our friends, our spouses, with others. Job says in 14.1, how frail relationships are, how short life is, how full of trouble. Peace on earth and in life is impossible for man. Peace between neighbors and spouses and nations and family members, even in our own minds and hearts, it's impossible. It, It escapes us. Now, man has done and can do a lot of great things. But I don't know of anyone who can say that they have brought peace to the world. James says, what is causing the quarrels and the fights among you? Isn't it the whole army of evil desires at war within you? You want what you don't have. You scheme and you kill to get it. You can't have it, he says, so you fight and you quarrel to take it away from them. We want peace. But we want it in our own way. We want peace, but we can't get rid of all those things that rob us of peace in our life. I can feel peace toward you, but what happens if, if you don't feel peace toward me? True and lasting peace in our world is something that's beyond man's reach. I mean, we have the United Nations, we have all of these huge organizations and meetings of the minds and, and have been working out since man began working out how we're going to have peace. And there's still no peace. Still no peace. So how perfect then are the names of the Messiah that are listed here? And the last one that we hear in our minds is Prince of Peace. Now understand peace is more than the absence of war. It's more than the absence of differences and chaos and stress and trials and tribulations. Peace is having Jesus Christ in the midst of all of those things. But in order to get true peace, we have to remove the basic cause of a lot of these things, which is sin. And she will bring forth a son and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from his sins, from them. Because sin steals, it kills, it destroys our personal peace and the peace of others and the peace of this world. But sin was absorbed by Jesus Christ on the cross and Jesus carries forever in his hands. Jesus carries forever in his hands and his feet the, the, the scars of our sin. And I love this verse in Isaiah 49, 16. And it says, God says, I have written your name on the palms of my hands. And when you think of the nail prints in his hands and his feet. That's our names. I have written your name on the palms of my hands. When you see those nail prints in my hands and my feet, this is for you. Real lasting peace, whether it's for nations or or individuals, it's not something that we can do, it's not something that we can bring. It's something that we receive through the sun, it's part of the gift. Jesus said, I am leaving you with a gift a peace, peace of mind and heart. And peace that I give is a gift the world cannot give. John fourteen twenty seven. Vance Havner, an old southern preacher, said this. Christmas is based on an exchange of gifts. The gift of God to man, his son, and the gift of man to God when we first give ourselves to God. God gives himself to us every single day, moment by moment. And we give ourselves to him, not just when we get saved, but thousands of times a day as we daily die to ourselves and live for him. The true Christmas spirit is a reminder of his gift and of the right response to that gift. He gives, we receive, we give back. Now, what can we give to God that would be appropriate for such a gift as the one he's given us? How about thankfulness? I mean, it seems so small. And there's nothing yet greater we can give. To just take time from our busy lives and remember God's indescribable gift that he gave us. And to be overwhelmed by his love over and over and over. He will always be the child born to us. The son given to us. The perfect governor. Our wonderful counselor. Our mighty God. Our everlasting father. Our prince of peace. And in a time of darkness. God promised to send a light and Jesus Christ is the light of the world and the light of men, the Bible says, who would shine on everyone living in death that hangs over them. He is counselor and mighty God. And this message of hope was fulfilled in Jesus Christ when he was born in the manger in in, in Bethlehem. And the establishment of his eternal kingdom on that Christmas morning. He came to deliver all of us from our slavery to sin. Isaiah 9.6 is a promise of love and forgiveness to a nation and to a people who didn't deserve it. It's a promise of forgiveness given in spite of and not because of our actions. Just because he loves us. Each of us have people in our lives who have hurt us, who have humiliated us or or, or made us so angry we don't want anything to do with them. And we've blotted them out of our lives and, and people that that maybe you have chosen to ignore and forget. And yet we can't forget the wonderful promise of forgiveness and love that came to us who we had hurt and offended. In every way that we could think of. How can we who have been shown such great grace, mercy and love and forgiveness in every way. Choose not to give it to others. Bitterness and the Christmas spirit cannot live in the same heart. So this Christmas. Ask Jesus to help you love those who have hurt you and disappointed you. And that you maybe have blotted out of your life. So as you decorate your tree and you put up your lights and your decorations. And listening to those holy Christmas songs. Remember the people that have hurt you or offended you. Then compare them to the offenses that you committed against God. And don't focus on how they've offended you. Focus on how God forgives you for your trespasses against him. What Christmas brings us is perspective, God's perspective, seeing it through his eyes. The needed perspective of God's heart toward us, which reminds us of what our heart should be towards others, even those who have hurt us or offended us. And ask God to strengthen you, to help you, to guide you in how to forgive and to love and to truly wish somebody well that you would rather just say forget you and scratch off your Christmas list. And if you do this, if you'll ask God to strengthen you, to help you, to guide you in how to forgive and to love and truly wish somebody well, the spirit of Christmas, the spirit of Christ, has entered your life. In closing. <clears throat> during the Christmas season of 1879. An agnostic reporter in Boston. Saw three little girls standing in front of a store window full of toys. One of them was blind. He heard the other two describing the toys to their friend. The agnostic reporter had never thought about how hard it was. To explain to someone blind. What someone look what something looks like. That incident became the basis for a newspaper story. Two weeks later, the reporter attended a meeting held by D.L. Moody. And his purpose was to catch the evangelist in an inconsistency. But he was surprised when D.L. Moody used his story of the children to illustrate a truth. Moody said, just as the blind girl couldn't visualize the toys, so an unsaved person can't see Christ in all of his glory. So on that first Christmas morning in Bethlehem, there were only a few people who understood who Jesus, who Jesus really was. A lot of people had heard the shepherd's report and they were amazed. But they didn't think in the baby and they didn't think of the baby in the manger as the son of God. Today, millions of people are still unaware of the true identity of Jesus because they are spiritually blind. Spiritually blind because, as Paul said, their minds are full of darkness. They wander far from the life God gives because they have closed their minds and hardened their hearts against him. If this describes you, Ask God to open your eyes this Christmas season and believe that Jesus Christ died for your sins no matter how bad you think of them or how bad you think they might be or how bad you've been. He died for those sins. And then trust Him. And when you do, your eyes will be open, and you'll recognize Jesus Christ for who He really is. Father, we thank you so much for your love and your mercies, God. We thank you for your goodness. We thank you for the promise and the fulfillment of your word, God. We thank you for a God that loves us in spite of us. And you love us just because of who we are. You don't love us because you have to or for any other reason other than it's who you are. You can't help but love because that is who you are. And Father, help us to be like you, God, this Christmas season and, and all the time, God. And Lord, I pray for those that might be here, Lord, that, Lord, have just maybe lost that, that relationship with you, Father, and for in, in whatever way it's happened, whatever they've done, God, it's not unforgivable by your standards, God. And the Lord, they would just seek your forgiveness. God, confess their sins to you, Lord. Be reunited, reconnected with you, Lord. Just to say, Lord, I'm sorry. Forgive me of my sins. Help me to begin a new walk with you, God. And to keep my eyes on you, Lord. To keep my eyes on you and not the circumstances, Lord and to enjoy the true meaning of Christmas. The promise of of a Savior. The promise of someone who would love me in spite of me. Who took upon himself my sins because I couldn't pay for them. And so Lord, may you be blessed this Christmas by your people, God. Because I know we will be blessed by you, Lord. But Father, we love you. We thank you, and it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. I want to pray for our, our the the ties and offerings, and then uh, I make a couple announcements, and we'll have our last song, last song, and we'll be dismissed. Father, we thank you for your giving unto us, Father, and Lord, we now give back to you, Lord, that which you first gave us. We thank you for your for your faithful support, for your God, for your provision for us and for this place, God, where we can come and worship. Father, we thank you for, again, just thinking of us all the time, God. Your word says that your thoughts for us are are more than the sands of the sea, God. We thank you, Lord. May you bless those, God, uh, financially, Lord, spiritually, whatever their need might be, God, comfort and peace and joy. May you just uh, be blessed by your people, God. We thank you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Tonight, we're going to be back in uh, the Psalms. We'll be looking at Psalm 141 and Psalm 42. And again, a reminder for the the children's Christmas program on December 19th. Um, if, uh, you know, you want to sign up and get involved, you can uh, go online and um, take care of all of the needs there. So, again, uh, God bless you guys. You guys be safe going home. And... Uh, come back this evening to, uh, again, join us in the Psalms. God bless you guys. Would you please stand with us for this last song? And during this Christmas season, we are reminded that the greatest source of joy that we have is uh, through this coming of our Lord Christ Jesus. So sing with us this song, Joy to the World.